You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Over to you, Raj. Okay, look at this. Brilliant. Thank you, guys. So we've got an exciting um, morning of preaching this morning, and um, I'm going to call up our uh, noble preachers who are going to be joining us. Um, so you guys, you know who you are. If you don't, that's a very bad start. Let's line these up nicely over here. So come on, gentlemen. Let's give them a round of applause. These are brave people. And... Um, over the last while, we do something called sevens, as you can see. And sevens is an opportunity to, I suppose, give different people opportunities to preach and, um, and for us to have a fresh exposure to different voices and different people's revelation of God. And um, so it's an amazing privilege for me to be able to stand with these amazing guys. We have walked a journey through Psalm 139, and the brief goes simply like this. Um, here's the psalm. You guys need to go through it, and you need to pick one, two, or three verses that you feel like you would like to preach on. And then you don't have 27 minutes, you have seven minutes to preach uh, on that passage. And so these guys all have seven, so seven fours are 28. So in about 30 minutes time, uh, given the fact that I will maybe say one or two words in between, we will um, have heard their revelation on these different passages of Scripture. And, uh, and so it's an amazing privilege to be able to uh, hear your guys' voices. Jason will be uh, kicking us off. Where's the other mic? Has someone got it? Oh, there we go. Jason's there. And um, we, you don't need to get up yet, bro. Oh, I know you're eager, though, and I like it. Yeah, of course you can. 
getting ready, he's warming up, doing his stretches. <laughs> Anything else we can do for you? Okay, okay. So um, Psalm 139, as you saw, just to give a bit of an overview, is an amazing passage of Scripture where David is in a deeply introspective space. He's, he's going between worship and, a, and deep self-awareness. He's looking up and going, wow. And then he looks in and he goes, wow, up, down, up, down. And it's a beautiful traversing of his inner life as he works it out with God. And uh, it really is a famous text, and it is loaded with beautiful uh, meaning and stuff for us. So I'm going to pray, and I want to pray two prayers. I'm going to pray for us mainly that we can hear God. Um, I've become aware that we tend to uh, look at all information as equal, and not all information is equal. When we come to church and we hear the Word of God preached, it's not like listening to the news or watching Netflix. It's an opportunity for us to slow down, to, to bring our whole lives before God and to say, God, speak to me. Help me to discern what you're saying. So I wonder if you would just join me as we would, uh, and then I'll also pray for, for our preachers. But if you would just join me and, and, and close your eyes and focus and say, God, I'm in a holy place. God, I want to hear your voice. God, I want to focus, not just so that I can hear these people speaking, but so that I can hear you speak. And so we do that, Jesus. We thank you that you are the word that became flesh. And this morning, we pray that your word would become alive to us, that our minds and our hearts would be humble and open, discerning and wise to see what it is that you would want to say to us. As these guys preach and as Jason kicks us off, I pray, God, that you would help us to hear your words. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, there's a, a countdown timer that's going to be happening so that we discipline them. You're not allowed to push the buzzer when seven minutes is up but it is gonna help to discipline them. So let's give Jason a round of applause as we kick off. Go for it. As far as I'm aware, your time starts now. Okay, so I run a jiu-jitsu academy. Now, if you're not an MMA fan, you're probably wondering what on earth is jiu-jitsu? Well, jiu-jitsu is a sport where the objective is to put your opponent into a submission. Now, obviously, the next question I'm sure you're thinking is, what is a submission? Well, lucky for all of us, I have the ever-eager Mr. Shane LaRue here on stage who is going to help me demonstrate. All right, so just before I get started, let me, let me explain a, a little bit further. So a submission is either a joint manipulation or a strangle, which, if left unchecked, can cause serious bodily harm. Thankfully for Mr. LaRue here, there's also something called tapping which is the sport's built-in safety mechanism. Okay, you ready? <laughs> well done, Mr. LaRue. Can we give him a round of applause for putting his body on the line there? Thank you, thank you. All right, so the reason why I'm showing you this this morning isn't just for the pleasure of choking out Shane. The reason why I'm showing you this is because what I and other jiu-jitsu practitioners have come to learn is that with a correctly applied submission, there reaches a point at which escape becomes impossible. If you will, there is an inescapable component to the sport. I highlight this because as part of the verses that I've chosen for my psalm, in, uh, Psalm 139, here you'll see that 
David has grasped the inescapable aspect of God's love. He's grasped the, the inescapable nature of God's love. He understands that any attempt to flee or to escape would prove absolutely futile, that it is purely inescapable. We can see that this is a man who is in awe of God's love and that he's, as a result of that, surrendered himself to it. He understands that no matter what it is he experiences, whether he were to partake of the greatest joys and to ascend into the highest heaven, that God would be there with him. Or alternatively, were he to descend into the lowest pit of suffering and make his bed in Sheol, God would be there with him. So about 13 years ago, I got saved. And when I got saved, one of the difficulties I faced was an addiction to marijuana. So in spite of this brokenness, as a young believer, I earnestly began to follow Jesus, and I achieved what initially appeared to be some success in this area. It wasn't long, however, before I met a set of circumstances that was far beyond my ability to control. I had no qualifications at the time, and I was forced to take a job which paid very little and that offered no hope of career advancement. On top of that, at the time, the director of the company where I worked was an absolute terror, and it seemed like he had a personal vendetta against me, hurting me deeply whilst I was in his employ. As a result, I found myself turning back to smoking marijuana as a very poor means of trying to cope, which obviously only made the situation worse. My darkness then reached the absolute rock bottom when it became apparent that my parents' home was going to be sold as a result of their separation and financial difficulties that they were facing. Now, this was the home that I was staying in at the time, which had enabled me to survive on such a meager income that I was, that I was earning at this job. Perhaps worst of all, far worse than those circumstantial elements, was the fact that I was experiencing such a terror at that time because in my mind, I had so feared that now by turning back to marijuana as a means of trying to cope, I had spurned the truth of God and I had cut myself off from his help. One night, I was at home and I was extremely depressed. I had smoked some marijuana. I was lying on my bed. I was looking at some old photos on a laptop. And I don't think I can convey to everybody just how deep that darkness was and how overwhelming that despair and hopelessness was. And in my desperation, I called out to God and I offered up the softest and the weakest, the most unspiritual prayer. And I simply said, God, please let me know you've got my back. I kept hitting that sideway arrow on the computer, going through more photos until, boom, all of a sudden God spoke powerfully to me through one of the images. This was the image, if they can bring it up on the slide. So if you can't make out, that's me in the middle of the photo there with the glasses on. This was taken a couple of years before I got saved. Now, as you can see behind me in the photo, standing behind is Jesus with his arms stretched out wide, clearly showing that he has my back. I can tell you now as I stand here before you that I promise you in that instant, heaven touched earth. As God reassured his inescapable love for me, though I was terrorized that I had cut myself off from him and his help. Though I had, in effect, like the, like the psalmist says, made my bed in Sheol, he still showed me that his love was true and real. 
I am convinced that what these verses in this Psalm 139 pertain to, what they point to, is the truth that in Christ Jesus, God's love is inescapable. That if you are in his grip, he will never let you go. As it says in Romans 8, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the question I would ask is this. Are you his? Do you know that he holds you in the grip of his mighty and inescapable love? And if so, I hope that my short sharing this morning would one comfort and two strengthen you for whatever you might be facing or for whatever you might face in the times to come, that you would know that God has your back and that nothing, nothing can separate you from his love. Alternatively, if you can't say that you belong to Jesus, this morning I would implore you, I would implore you to surrender to his love, for I promise you it is the one submission that you would not want to escape from. I hope you're logging this. I hope you're treasuring this in your heart. Uh, looking at uh, Mary as we look into the nativity story. She stored up the, the works and the words of Jesus in her heart. Let's keep storing these up. Shane, over to you. If I say, darkness will hide me and light become night around me. Why would David say such words? Isn't this the anointed king of Israel? the giant slayer, the one that scripture would say was a man after God's own heart? Have you maybe ever felt the need to hide? Maybe you've done something that you thought was unforgivable, something that no one should find out about. Maybe if that's you, the concept of hiding something from God isn't that foreign. Growing up, I was teased a lot. My early years were tough, really tough. And I learned very quickly that I could use my words as weapons to stop the bullies. And believe you me, it worked. But then something happened that I didn't expect. Eventually, I became the bully. I would use my words to inflict such pain on those around me. The only person I seek the approval of was my own and was, was my friends around me. And as David suggests in verse 11, Darkness is so effective, it's actually excellent at being able to cover things up, even from yourself. So again, when would David have needed to hide from God? The book of Samuel captures such a dark season in David's life. David, at a time where he should have been marching off to war with his army, instead we find he's at home, hiding out. And on one restless night, he walks around the roof of his palace, looking down into people's homes and looking at other men's wives. It's almost like today's times, a man being on his phone in the middle of the night on Tinder, looking to hook up where he should have been in bed with his wife. So as the story goes, David sees Bathsheba and swipes right. He sleeps with her and surprise, surprise, she falls pregnant. Now David's got a problem. David needs to cover up what he's done. So David goes on to make one of the darkest decisions of his entire life. 
David decides to have a man murdered. And now David needs to hide. He needs to hide from God, and he needs to hide from the man he had become. I could just imagine David, middle of the night, not being able to sleep and saying to himself, what have I done? Can I come back from this? Oh, surely darkness will hide me. I feel so hopeless. Light has become night to me. Are we any different? We've got so many different hiding spots. Can I tell you which one's our favorite? It's busyness. And by no means is it an end to our hiding spots. We'll hide behind things like friendships, careers, hobbies, Facebook posts, and dare I say, even pornography. It's staggering the lengths we will go to to hide our sense of darkness, even our sense of unworthiness. We are so good at pretending it doesn't exist. But the second someone thinks or you think it's about to be exposed, wow, you jump into action. I'm going to do what it takes to keep this hidden. So my own downward spiral continued, and I kept saying the worst of things to the best of people. And then I escalated to starting to abuse drugs and alcohol. You see, for, for me, things just got darker and darker. My behavior got worse and worse. And I was fine with that. You see, for me, light had become night. And I was fine with that. Maybe I was fine with that. Was I really fine with that? Have you ever walked on a really bright full moon? Isn't it amazing how you're able to see so much more than normal? It's, it's almost as if you've been given the gift to see in the dark. Now for us, that is just a tiny, tiny glimpse of what night is like to God. And finally in verse 12, David figures this out. You see, David figures out that darkness isn't dark to God. David figures out that his worst sin, the most terrible thing he's ever done, is not dark to God. And even more than that, that this verse would continue and God would say, I have the ability to make your night shine like the day. Do you see what's happening in these two verses? Do you see the reversal that is taking place? In verse 11, we've got David absolutely sure that darkness will hide him. Yet in verse 12, he acknowledges God sees him. doesn't matter where he goes. Then again, same verse 11. David says, my light had become night. And yet all it takes in verse 12 is God's presence. And what happens? Night's able to shine like the day. And the, 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 the reversals don't even stop there. David suddenly goes from utter despair to joy in the light of what God's grace and mercy has done in his life. The same God that is able to push back the darkness while pulling us back towards him. The same God that in Genesis was able to create light from the darkness. The same God that would literally come up with the ultimate, the ultimate reversal. And he reveals that he sends his son. And Jesus would bring us the good news of the gospel. And we would find out that there was no darkness found in him. And yet, you know what? He chose to be hung on a cross for us. He chose that our dark deeds would be put on him. And do you know that on that day, that same very day, darkness would fall upon the land for three full hours. And if that wasn't enough, 
Jesus' dead body is then placed in the darkness of a tomb for three full days. Can you imagine the onlookers? Oh, what a waste. This Christianity thing's not going anywhere. It's hopeless. There's no coming back from this. But you know what, friends? Darkness couldn't hold him. Darkness couldn't hold him. And he conquered sin and death. He reversed the curse that was darkness. And with power, Jesus steps out of that temporary tomb and invites all that look to him out of their darkness and into the kingdom of his light. And can I tell you that 17 years ago, that light found me in my hiding place. And he said to me that your darkness is not too dark for me. And he took me as I was, and he gave me a new identity. He put his arms around me, and he slowly started to reauthor my life. And he wasn't done with these reversals just yet. In one more reversal, he would take the very worst of me, my words. And I can't explain the joy and the privilege that I have of using my words today to bring both glory and honor and thankfulness to the God that has done so much for me. So friends, I'm here to tell you, in light of these two verses, it's time to stop pretending. God sees you. He sees all you've done. And he loves you right now. The same God that was able to take death and move it to life for us. The same God that'll take your seasons of hurt and he'll turn them into stories and testimonies of redemption. That those scars that you have, that he would take those and those would remind you of the times he sustained you through trials. The Jesus that conquers our death and darkness. So that us, when we used to be slaves, hopeless, now suddenly we're children, we're brothers and sisters. We are sons and daughters of the most high God. How loving, how merciful is this God that loves us so much. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I thank you that my darkness, that our darkness isn't too dark for you. Lord, that you would step into my night, our night, Lord, and you would change it and you would make it shine like the day that you took the decision to send your son, the light of the world, entered into existence, Lord, to save us, to save us from ourselves. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Adrian's up next, but I can feel David's wisdom in this inescapable grip that then leads him to see this un inescapable light of the love of God. And so, Adrian, over to you, mate. Let's give him a round of applause. Okay, so my two verses are um, verse 13 and 14. So if you grew up in a Christian household like me, or attended a Christian school, or even spent as little as 10 minutes in a Christian gift shop, you would have encountered these two very famous verses. Um, now, I'm guilty of figuratively rolling my eyeballs for verses like this, but I think it's important to remember that God uses Scripture, all of it, even still this very famous one. Um, so when I started doing some research about these two verses, I found that there were two very contrasting streams of interpretation surrounding it. The first stream is the cliché. It uses the scripture almost as a body image motivation. 
um, which can come in very handy, especially after Christmas and New Year when I've been eating too much, then it's nice to hear that my body is valued and God made me as I am. And um, to a certain extent, that message, it, message is true. But it doesn't include the full scope of what the psalmist, in, in this case David, is saying here. The other stream places the focus heavily away from ourselves towards God. That God, who is the Almighty, created us and He should be praised. And um, there's also truth in that, possibly more so than with the other one, but it still doesn't encompass the full meaning of the message. So what is the meaning of the message, and how, how does it affect us? I believe it is in the duality, something in between our value and the wonder of God. And here's my attempt in summing it up. The divine God creates us, but not only creates us, He creates us intentionally, which evokes in us a certain response. So let's look at how God created us intentionally. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Okay, let's just, let's just stop there. Firstly, I want to say, you are created by God. Okay, that's important, so I'll say it again. You are created. We live in a world where there seems to be evidence that tells us how the world came into being and how we came into being, that the mere fact that we are here is accidental. And being honest, that is something I've wondered about before. But David makes it clear, we were made by God in this specific body for this specific time. Now, if you, if you believe that, if you fully believe that, then it changes everything. It changes the way you look at human life, your own life, the life of others, the lives of unborn babies, of people with disabilities, of our enemies, criminals, murderers. All life is special. And yes, God uses His natural resources, which He created in the first place, but, but He does it through His divine power. Secondly, God knitted us together. Have you ever knit something? That is no careless task. God cares for you. Um, Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, He didn't just form you. He came to save you. He sent His Son to die for you. God's relationship with us in the creation and in salvation has always been proof of a God who cares deeply. It's interesting for me that David makes these two verses, the whole chapter really, so personal. And I think it has something to do with his heart, with his inmost thoughts and feelings, and his personal relationship with God. David says, you created my inmost being. Now, inmost being in the Hebrew translation is the word kilia, which means kidney. In those times, it was believed that the kidneys were the seat of emotion and affection. So, we aren't just created in flesh, we are created with conscious spirits. So, why did God create us with consciousness? I believe it is to have a relationship with us. 1 Timothy 2 verse 3 to 4, God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So we are created for a purpose, to know God and to make Him known. And I believe that is the universal calling of all humans. But God also created David's inmost being. He didn't just create the inmost being of all humans. He created the individual spirit of David, of you and of me, specially gifted to honor and worship Him in a unique way. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? 
If I can be completely vulnerable, I find it difficult sometimes. Growing up in a Christian home, I know how to make the right tunes and do the right moves and almost fall into a repetition of doing. But God wants more than that. He wants me to sit in the being with him, with my emotions, with my wonder, with my questions, with my praise. Um, Daniel reminded us a few weeks ago in our life group that the name Israel actually means to wrestle with God. God wants your heart, even if it is full of questions and doubts like mine often is. So how do we respond to the fact that we are intentionally made by the Almighty God? I think David gives us the example when he says, I praise me because I am fearfully and wonderfully made, right? No, he says, I praise you because you, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made, because God is the one who is fearful and wonderful. I want to make the following statement. If your awe in creation doesn't direct your wonder to God, then it is idolatry. The maker deserves the praise. So we must check the direction of our praise. Does it glorify us and other things, or does it glorify God? Maybe our response today can be to consecrate our lives and with renewed zeal and worship turn to Him. May we learn to see ourselves, our bodies, and those of others the way God sees them. May we step into the purpose of a relationship with Him and direct our wonder in humility towards God. Worshiping God can be difficult when you can't find a reason, but becomes easy when you, re when you realize He has given us, through creation and through salvation, all the reasons. These guys are on fire, man. That's amazing. Did he even make your mustache? <laughs> um, keep logging those beautiful treasures that uh, we're taking with us. I'm going to hand over to Jolene. Adrian won you an extra 30 seconds, by the way. I told you that was for Shane. Yeah. <laughs> uh, good morning, everybody. Um, so I've always been a, a thinker. Like from a teenager, I used to love and just, you know, sit in my room and think, listen to music and ponder the words. And it's something that Tawanda and I connect, you know, or have in common is that we both thinkers and we love to, to share thoughts and kind of delve into, into thoughts. Um, but when I was in my 20s, I joined a church coming from a very conservative, very sort of, um, yeah, a church maybe that wasn't so biblically based to a church that's very similar to Common Ground. And I found that yo, I was enjoying worship, the word was being preached powerfully, and I, my times with God were being so fresh and, and meaningful. And I began to just really say to God, as we sang this morning, here's my heart, Lord, speak truth to me. I wanted to know Jesus in a more powerful way. I wanted my life to be changed in a more powerful way. And God whispered to me and he said something I wasn't expecting. You give too much value to your own thoughts. That I give too much value to what other people think, to what I think. Being the thinker, you know, you even on social media, everyone likes to chime in and say, but I think this, I think that, you should do this, and everyone else has got answers to all of your problems. And we tend to listen a lot to what the world is saying, and we even give our own thoughts too much airtime. It's almost like a squatter in our brains, instead of giving that attention, that value to God's thoughts. And in Psalm 139, I'm doing from verse 17 and 18, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. And that just like 
resonated with me so much. That why would David say that God's thoughts are precious? That not, he doesn't say my thoughts are precious, being a king and, you know, being quite a powerful man. He says, but God, your thoughts are precious to me. And two things came to mind that I think that he was holding intention is one that God knows everything. And being a good Christian, most of us have probably grown up in Sunday school hearing God knows everything, he knows everything, he's in everything, he's omniscient, he's powerful. But the other thing that I think David realized was that God knew everything about him. It's way more personal, way more intimate and deep. And I feel like Shane actually saw a little bit of my <laughs> my speech is going into that, but it's nice just to reinforce it, that God knows everything about me. Why is it so important? Because if he knows everything about me, wouldn't I want to know what he thinks of me? Because actually, what he's also saying is that God thinks about me. And that's a profound thing, because God knows everything, but he also lives outside of time. So when God sees us, he doesn't see our past, our present, and our future separately. He sees us completely right now, which we can't do for ourselves. So when I like, as you see me now, you guys don't know my past. You know how I am now. And you don't know what it's taken to get me here now. But God knows all of that. But he also knows my future because he exists outside of time. It's all the same for him. He's present in all of it. And even in sharing this, it's quite lofty. It's quite almost overwhelming to know how much God knows us. But then we should be encouraged. And there's a Charles Spurgeon quote that just blew me away. It says that he, been, he's speaking about David in this particular context or this particular scripture saying, he's not alarmed at the fact that God knows all about him. On the contrary, he's comforted, even feels himself to be enriched as with a casket of precious jewels that God should think upon him is a believer's treasure and pleasure. It's such a, a special thing that you know that God thinks about me. That I grab a, a handful of sand, I can't measure those little grains of sand. And if you've got a kid, I've got two, love sand pits, the sand gets everywhere. When you come home, you come home with half the beach or with the sand pits. You're surrounded by God's thoughts. They're vast, you can't count them. But he thinks about us. And in, so, in Isaiah 55, it says that your ways are not my ways, your thoughts are high above. As the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts above yours. And that just reinforces that we can trust God, that what he thinks about us is also good, but he's, he's so above us, and so, it's so mysterious how he works and how he thinks that we can't comprehend it. We're not on the same level. It's like he's on a different planet to us. But yet, why do we keep going to wells that are dry and going to other people's thoughts, going to our own thoughts? When in Amos 4, verse 13, it also says that he reveals his thoughts to us. So he wants us to know what he's thinking because he's thinking about us. Isn't that wonderful that God says, I love you, but I have thoughts about you that you don't even know yet. They're treasures. They're precious jewels. Why don't you come and ask me? Why don't you come and spend time with me? I want to give those jewels to you. Take pleasure in what I think about you. And even this morning when we were praying, um, the thought just came to my mind that a lot of the time for us, we don't want to believe that God's thoughts are good for us. A lot of the time... We don't think we're good enough or we don't, for whatever reason of what we were saying about what we've done, we don't really believe it. But here's the thing is that the more that we think about those things, the more that we open up our hearts, like we're saying this morning, here's my, here's my heart, Lord, here's my life. Speak truth to me. The only truth we're ever going to get is from God. Not my thoughts, not anyone else's thoughts, 
but from God's thoughts. So open up your heart and say, God, here I am. Speak truth to me. I want to think about what you think about. Because we're shaped by our thoughts. Thoughts are very powerful. And the more that we humble ourselves, the more that we make ourselves available for the Holy Spirit to minister us, his thoughts become our thoughts. We align ourselves with the truth of who he is so that our lives are changed forever. Not because we have to, but because he thinks about us. We are precious to him. And his thoughts become precious to us. So we can say, God, your thoughts are precious to me. I want to know what you think. I'm making a decision about a job. God, I want to know what you think. I'm making a decision on who I'm going to marry. I want to know what you think. You know, Tawan and I have made some big decisions. Going to Mauritius, coming back. Do we go back to Mauritius? Must we stay? God, what do you think? Not what do we think. And it doesn't always work out the way that you think it's going to. But in that, your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are high above. It doesn't work out the way that you think. But if you settle in your heart, you have a peace that you can't explain. Even when things look to everyone else like they're not going well, like we hit financial difficulty coming back from Mauritius, it doesn't make sense to people. Why do you want to come back to South Africa? Your ways are not my ways, Lord. We're trusting in you because your thoughts are precious. They're precious to me. They're the jewels that I need in my life because you think about me and you love me. Maybe as you stand, excuse my voice, it seems to be going. Maybe as you stand, I want to encourage you to recognize that one of the greatest acts of faith, and you guys must stay here, I want you to be right where you are, and let, as they're there, you can stand up. <clears throat> one of the greatest acts of faith you can do, or have, is not necessarily to physically, as Jesus did, to step out and walk on water, but it's to do actually what Jolene spoke about there, is to actually trust God with your thoughts. And to have a moment where you say, the patterns of thinking that I have might not align to the patterns of thinking that God has. And, and, and the way that my brain has taught me to conceive of the world might not actually be the final authority on what is actually true. It's a remarkably terrifying and important act that we should have. The Bible actually calls that repentance, to change our mind. One of the bravest things is to change your mind and to stop thinking, maybe, for example, that you're at the center of the universe. Or to think maybe that your darkness is too dark for God. <laughs> or to think maybe, as Jason reminded us, that you could escape from God's grip. You've done enough. If it was bad enough, he's moved on, he's found someone else. He's found a few others, they're better. What if your patterns of thinking are misaligned to the truth of Scripture. And so because of that, your heart is being fed a misaligned message. And because of that, your life is enacted in a misaligned way to the world that God created. The person God created is you to worship Him. And maybe, just maybe, you need to realign your thought life. To get more submerged into the life of God so that you can begin to enact a life of worship as Adrian called us to. I think today we've been called to step on the water because we are created by Him, because we're in His inescapable grip, because the darkest of the darkest nights of our life are not bad enough for God. He went into the darkness and He reached into us and He bore the punishment of our sin so that we could walk in the light and say, I am His.
and we could live for Him in His creation, knit together by Him to say, I'm made for a purpose. No mistakes here. Mustache and all. I'm His. He created me. He loves me. My humor or my lack of humor, He cares about me. He's got a purpose for me. My mistakes, all the stuff I've done, He can redeem every single part of it. Would you let those thoughts be submitted to His thoughts so that you can actually live a life increasingly free in His world? It takes a lot of faith, a lot of courage to say, God, have I been thinking wrong thoughts? Today as we sing God, today as we sing over one another, we almost ask that you would sing over us, that you would freshly wash us with your thoughts that you would remind us that we are in your grip. If we have chosen to trust you, if you have called us, if we know that we have said yes to you, we are yours in the inescapable grip. No matter how much we wander, you don't let us go. Those the Father has given the Son, he will not let anyone snatch them out of his hand. Neither height nor depth, angels nor demons, the present or the future, nothing in all of creation could separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We rest in that. We realign our thoughts to that. As we sing, we, we don't just sing for ourselves. We sing because we want to wash each other in the precious thoughts of God, in the precious words and the truth of God. We minister to each other in this moment as you minister to us these amazing truths. We honor you for the gifts of these men and this woman who've spoken the truth over us. We thank you, Jesus. And we rest in your beautiful love. Oh, let this song, God, be a response of praise, as Adrian called us to. We're knit together not to look at ourselves, but to look at you. We do this together as a team. We are the worship team. We're the family called by God, made by you to call each other out of our thoughts and into your thoughts. I treasure you this morning, Jesus. Let's sing.